I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with the Deal. And today our guest is Anastasia Kaup, a financing partner at Dwayne Morris in Chicago. Anastasia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So we're going to talk about several things on today's podcast. Uh, First of all, Anastasia, your background, how you got from Utah to law school at the University of Michigan to practicing at Dwayne Morris in Chicago. Secondly, how you came to specialize in finance and what you enjoy in the practice. Deals you've worked on that that have been particularly meaningful for you. Uh, your work with the Diversity Inclusion Committee at Dwayne Morris, and finally your practice of the martial art Krav Maga. Sure, I grew up in a military family and lived in dozens of places throughout Europe and the Western U.S. My dad left us around age eleven. My mother eventually remarried, but I was raised for most of my formative years by a single mother who had dropped out of school in eighth grade. She did the best she could to take care of me and my brother, but given her education, we faced a variety of challenges. We were homeless for a time. When we did have housing, we lived in low-income housing in some unsafe areas, or we shared a 16-foot trailer where I slept on the floor so my mom and brother could sleep on the bunk bed. Some days, more days than I can count, the only food we had to eat was the free lunch at school or from the food bank. And uh, we really struggled until I was old enough to work and help support the family. A couple experiences drove me to become a lawyer. And the first of those was around the age of 12. I remember my mom asking me to read the lease for one of the low-income housing units we were going to live in and asked me to explain it to her because she didn't understand it. I realized then we really needed a lawyer in the family and that I was the most likely candidate. I'd always worked hard and did very well in school. The second experience was as a teenager, I figured out that I was a member of the LGBTQ community. I took my girlfriend to senior prom in uber conservative Provo, Utah. And I was so naive at the time. I didn't even anticipate there'd be an issue. I bought tickets and I thought as long as we had tickets, we'd be good to go. So when we arrived together, we were harassed, bullied, threatened by the teachers and school administrators until we left. After they ruined our prom, I thought there must be something I can do. I did some research and found my way to the ACLU of Utah. And over the course of several months, worked with the lawyer there to come to an agreement with the school that provided that they would allow LGBTQ students to go to prom without issue in the future. And I'm pleased to say that the next year, one of my best friends who was gay was able to go to prom with his boyfriend, no problem. So I saw the positive impact that lawyers can have and determined I wanted to be a lawyer so I could help my family, clients, and others in need. And then tell us a little bit about your educational background. You did college in Utah and then went to the University of Michigan for law school. That's right. My uh, mother had some health challenges, so I decided to stay close to home and go to a college. Uh, I, I actually started at community college. No one in my family had gone to college before. I had no clue what to do. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a friend who had enrolled in community college a little bit before I did, who sort of helped me through the process because I had no idea how to go about it. So I started out in the paralegal program, 
graduated with an associate's degree, transferred to the U of U and worked my way through college and was fortunate to have some very supportive and wonderful professors and mentors and found my way to the University of Michigan Law School and worked very hard, graduated with honors and eventually landed in a large law firm practicing law for the first few years in New York before transitioning to Chicago. And what was your practice like in the first couple of years? You graduated from law school, I think, in 2010, which was obviously during the aftermath of the great financial crisis. Yes, it was a very interesting time to graduate law school. So it was a time where basically every major business you could think of was struggling economically. There were law students at the top of the class and on law review who weren't getting jobs. So I I worked my tail off and was determined that I hadn't come that far to fail then. So worked very hard, earned a position as an associate at a large law firm in New York. And at that time, most of the jobs were in the the bankruptcy and restructuring field. And I thought, you know what, if they're going to compensate me so well and give me this opportunity to learn and improve my skills, I'll do whatever kind of law they want me to do. It sounded very interesting at the time, had a lot of practical application. You know, there were names that we all knew going bankrupt in the news day after day for several years. So cut my teeth as a lawyer, focused on bankruptcy and restructuring for a few years. And that was a mix of litigation and transactional practice. It was very interesting, but I found that I really enjoyed the transactional side of the practice. So when I had the opportunity to transition to focus just on finance after the recession sort of resolved, more or less, I took that opportunity, became a deal lawyer, and I've loved it ever since. I never looked back. And tell us a little bit about what you enjoy about finance. Sure. I enjoy that it's at its core about business and inter-party relationships. And a meritocracy. So as long as you understand what the parties are trying to achieve and you have the skills and experience to draw upon to help them achieve their goals, that even someone with a background like mine can go far in this practice. And I get to counsel clients on fascinating transactions and help really add value, create jobs, you know, help them grow their businesses profit off of investments. It's fascinating learning about all sorts of different kinds of businesses, investment funds, and feeling like at the end of the day, I'm helping create something positive and get things done for my clients. I feel like I, I have to ask this question because on our one of our previous podcasts, we had as guests the authors of a book about the Caesars bankruptcy. And it, it was honestly kind of exhausting and depressing even to read their account of dealing with a a really nasty restructuring and bankruptcy. I mean, did you feel some of that in the bankruptcy practice that even on an emotional level, it's it's just draining? (laughs) It was certainly an emotionally challenging time for everyone in the country and in a lot of places around the globe. But yeah, some of that did come through in big law practice. I remember being on a phone call as a junior attorney where two partners, 
at opposing firms, my firm and the opposing firm were essentially name calling each other <laughs> because the emotions and tensions had gotten so high in this very contentious bankruptcy. And my personality is more conciliatory. I like, you know, when everyone is happy at the end and we've all achieved our goals and we can go out, you know, with the business parties and opposing counsel and have a, and have a good, you know, positive discussion and a nice closing dinner. So that was one of the experiences that actually helped me determine that my personality and skill set were probably better suited to finance practice than bankruptcy and restructuring. I'm grateful for that experience because I've, you know, once you've seen a contract picked apart <laughs> by bankruptcy litigators and, and you've done that analysis and you've seen where deals went wrong, it's given me almost a sort of foresight so that I can help my clients avoid some of those pitfalls, structure the deal, you know, in a in an advantageous and thoughtful way from the outset and help them achieve their goals in a way that someone might not be able to that didn't have the benefit of that perspective. So I'm grateful for the experience, but I, I certainly did see some of that in my time in bankruptcy and restructuring practice and have very much enjoyed focusing on finance. And tell us a little bit more about your finance practice. You have a fairly diverse practice. I do. I have, in in the course of my financing career, probably counseled clients on transactions in nearly every type of finance that exists. Leveraged finance, uh, investment fund finance, structured finance, asset-based finance, you name it, both borrowers and lenders. So I I have had a diverse career and, you know, that's been really beneficial because sometimes I'm able to draw upon concepts or experiences in one area and develop a creative solution for clients that another attorney that focused on solely one type of finance may not be able to achieve. Now, have you been tempted to try and uh, develop a more specialized practice or, or in fact, you like the intellectual stimulation of working on different kinds of deals? I enjoy the diversity that finance practice brings, but I have focused over the recent years in a couple key areas, one of which is financing for investment funds, asset managers, fund sponsors, and the lenders that lend to those parties. So, Fund finance is certainly a focus, and that is an area that has just been growing, you know, exponentially year after year. And I'm pleased to say uh, that I've been able to counsel clients on a lot of interesting transactions, whether it's for private equity funds, real estate funds, or the banks that lend them, you know, all sorts of investment funds. And then private equity sponsor finance or financing for private credit funds or asset managers that have those sorts of affiliates. I I think one of the benefits of having a diverse practice and having done finance at every level of the organizational structure is that I can see the interplay between documents and some of the considerations and concerns and highlight those for my clients and be aware of them. For example, a, a lawyer who only looks at the portfolio company level and does the portfolio company finance, for example, in an M&A transaction, may not be aware of what to look for in the limited partnership agreement 
of the investment fund that sits above that portfolio company when negotiating a sponsor guarantee, for example. And tell us about a couple of deals that you've worked on recently that that you've really enjoyed. Sure. Uh, Two come to mind. And the first one was where I represented one of the world's largest manufacturing conglomerates. We were negotiating financing to allow them to operate a facility in an economically hard hit area. And the negotiations were very complex. We had at least four jurisdictions that I recall, multiple parties, multiple counsel, complicated financial and other considerations. But we eventually counseled them through and successfully closed the financing. And they were able to create hundreds of jobs in that area that would benefit other blue collar and lower income families like mine when I was growing up. So that was incredibly satisfying and interesting and made me feel like I'd really come full circle. The second, more recently, I just represented a real estate investment fund with a specialty investment focus. And that fund was and is well run by a great team, but because of their investment focus, they'd suffered a number of challenges due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So I counseled them on obtaining a credit facility to enable them to develop some of their properties, address some of those economic challenges, and move forward with great prospects for future success. That deal involved a number of challenges, including some very interesting inter-party dynamics. But I'm pleased to say we successfully closed. The client was thrilled, and they've already reached out uh, to expand the relationship and the work with our team. And you're also involved in diversity and inclusion efforts at Dwayne Morris. Uh, Tell us a little bit about those. Sure. I am a member of the Diversity and Inclusion Committee. And when I was evaluating opportunities, when I transitioned to eventually Dwayne Morris, diversity and inclusion was one of the things that drew me to the firm. And Dwayne Morris is unlike any other firm I've worked for previously. And when it comes to DNI, we have diverse and female attorneys leading practically every practice group and industry team. We have representation in the leadership and partnership. And the firm's constantly working to improve. But as a concrete example, on the DNI committee, we meet frequently. The vice chairman of our entire firm is on the committee. Not only has he never missed a meeting, he's engaged, he asks questions, he makes suggestions at every meeting. Not only do we have the meetings, but at the meetings, we discuss not only firm-wide or specific initiatives, but we focus on every diverse attorney individually what mentoring are they getting? What substantive career opportunities to, you know, first chair a deposition or lead a deal are they getting? And I've never worked at a firm that had so many people, including so many members of management, seem to care so deeply, but were so engaged and had that level of focus on each and every attorney's career needs and goals. At what point in your own career did you realize that that was really important, that finding mentors who could help you navigate the politics of any law firm and who could give you the opportunities to develop as a lawyer was critical to your career? When when did you realize that and how did you go about building those relationships at places where, where that kind of mentorship was less formalized? 
I realized it was important very early on in my career. When I started at my first big law firm in New York City, I was the only openly gay woman attorney in a firm of hundreds in New York City. And I didn't see anyone like me. And I'm also Mexican-American. I, I didn't see anyone like me represented in the partnership or the leadership. And so initially, you know, I, I took the approach that I always had. I, I'll just work hard, try to do the right thing, treat other people with respect and courtesy, try to be the best person I can and hope that that carries me to where I want to go professionally. And I saw that other attorneys were getting that sort of mentoring and determined that that, that firm was probably not the best fit for me and moved on. Eventually, I was able to connect with some wonderful attorneys who were incredible mentors. And even though we may not have both been similar in our characteristics, some of the best mentors I've had, like my current uh, practice group chair, he's a white man, but he's been one of the best mentors and sponsors and supporters that anyone could ask for. So was able to find mentors, some that shared some of my, you know, characteristics that were members of the LGBTQ community, others that weren't. And I've come to believe that mentoring may be one of the most important, if not the most important aspects of a successful big law firm attorney's experience because of that. It, it, yes. I mean, it, it, it seems that a lot of law firms, as a successful lawyer, you have to find mentors. And there are people who walk into these institutions and are incredibly conscious of that, even from the time they're summer associates. It's honestly remarkable to me in, uh, you know, on, on some of these podcasts that firms themselves seem more oblivious to that reality than than I would have thought. It is surprising. <laughs> I'm pleased to say that's not the case at our firm. Every single attorney, including the diverse attorneys, has multiple mentors. And not only do we have this formal mentoring program, but we encourage mentoring to develop organically. Most of the best mentoring relationships that I have had, both as the mentee and as the mentor, developed organically because we had shared interests, whether it was the kind of TV shows we like to watch or the fact that we were both new to playing golf or what have you that there it, it's incredibly important. And I, I think that organic mentoring relationships are, are vital to success in a large law firm. Have you found that it's been more challenging to develop and nurture those relationships over the last year because everybody's worked remotely? I have not had that challenge or experience. Uh, We have uh, had the good fortune to have an incredible uh, set of resources at our disposal. So, you know, I'm someone who generally personally would prefer to get together with clients or colleagues in person. But with the advent of Zoom and all of these other resources, it's, it's been uh, fairly, fairly achievable to, you know, connect with colleagues and mentor younger attorneys and also 
obtain mentoring myself from some of the senior leaders in our firm, like the practice group chair that I mentioned. So I have not had that experience, but I can imagine that many, especially more junior attorneys, probably do feel challenged in a way that now that I am, you know, more more experienced and farther along in my career, it's probably easier for me to reach out and not feel as intimidated um, to reach out to others to connect that way. And finally, uh, tell us a little bit about Krav Maga, how you developed an interest in the practice and how you continue that interest. Sure. After graduating law school, I moved to New York City, where I practiced for the first five years or so of my career. But shortly after moving there, one of my colleagues and friends, who was a white man, was mugged during daylight hours in the middle of Midtown, which for those who aren't familiar with New York is an upscale business district. So I thought if he can get mugged under those circumstances, anyone can. And since I was living in New York alone, that I should learn to defend myself. So I did some research and determined that Krav Maga seemed to be the most practically applicable martial art for defending yourself in a real life scenario like a mugging. I started taking classes from former Israeli military special forces operatives. I loved it from day one and have stuck with it for over a decade. It's incredibly useful and practically applicable, but also an amazing workout. And I like that it teaches you to use your instincts and can enable someone who may be smaller or weaker than their attacker to successfully defend themselves in a bad situation. Anastasia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. For Drinks with a Deal, I'm David Marcus.